Well, good morning. Second Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. We started a new series last week on Sunday mornings through the book of Second Corinthians, and we were sharing, just by way of quick review for those of you that were not here last week, that this whole book is about ministry. It's about service. It's about learning to be a servant of God. And we shared at the beginning last week that the Bible is filled with teaching about being a servant. Even back in the Old Testament, Elijah looked at the people of God and he says, how long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? If Baal is God, then serve him. If Jehovah is God, then serve him. Joshua looked at the people of God and said, choose you this day whom you will serve as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And not every Christian will hear these words from the Lord one day. Well done, good and faithful. What's that word? Servant. Servant. Second Corinthians is all about learning to be a servant. And last week in chapter 1, we saw primarily that we can look at the suffering of our life in a different way as a Christian. Because the sufferings that God allows us to go through in our life, first of all, we learned, will provide for us a power, a capacity, a capability to be able to minister to others with the comfort that God gave to us when we were going through that suffering. In a sense, it allows us to be able to relate, to empathize, to sympathize with others that we never could had we never went through those times of suffering. We also saw that that also then provides us a greater platform to be able to serve others. The more you and I can relate and empathize and sympathize with others, the more we go through suffering and see that God can bring us through suffering, the more God can use us, and in the more lives God can use us to encourage others with that same God and that same comfort. We also saw that suffering also can be an opportunity for us to learn to trust God more and to increase our faith. That's what Paul says in nine when he says, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Even though, he said, we were beyond our strength, we despaired even of living. Indeed, we even thought we had the sentence of death passed upon us. You see, you and I will not serve a God that we don't trust. Let's, let's be clear about that. If you and I do not learn to really trust God, have confidence in God, rest in Him, we won't, we won't serve Him. Because much of what God is going to ask us to do in serving Him involves trusting Him. You see, letting go and trusting God. So that was last week. This week, there's three other things that Paul says all relate to learning to be a servant of God. First of all, in the first 11 verses or 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to discover the love of Paul for the Corinthians. Second, in verse 11, we're going to discover the schemes of Satan 
And then in verse 14, we're going to look at the triumph of Christ. The love of Paul, the schemes of Satan, and the triumph of Christ. And we're going to see this morning how all of these relate to learning to be a servant. I don't have time today to go into all that was going on between Paul and the church at Corinth, and even at the church of Corinth between them and one another. But what I will say is this. Paul was showing his love, his real, supernatural, selfless, sacrificial, Christ-like love for the Corinthians. In fact, notice what he says in verse 4 of chapter 2. Out of great distress and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not to make you sad, but to let you know the love that I have especially for you. If you go up to verse 1, notice he talks about not wanting them to pay them another painful visit. And then if you go over to verse 13, or actually 12 and 13, notice Paul says, God opened up for me a great door of opportunity, but I could not stay. I had no relief in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus there. Because Titus was bringing back a report or a response from the Corinthian church to Paul about their feelings toward Paul and how how they were feeling about him and, and this relationship that they had with him. And Paul said, even though I knew as an apostle of Christ, I could stay here in this place and have a great opportunity to serve the Lord. I couldn't because I couldn't get my mind off of you. I, I could not rest enough because I so love you that I, that I could not just settle down and really be used to the Lord at this point until I find, found out how you were feeling about me and your response to my last letter. You see, unlike today, we don't get necessarily immediate responses back and forth in those days. Paul had to send a letter and wait for a long time before Titus returned with the Corinthian response. Now, here's what I want to point out. Notice Paul said in verse 4, I want to let you know the love that I have especially for you. And notice what that meant to Paul. First of all, in verse 1, that meant pain. Second of all, in verse 4, that meant distress, anguish, and tears. In verse 13, that meant at times no relief in my spirit. Can I say to all of us that though many times we commend ourselves and pat ourselves on the back, for being Christians who really love and love other people, that we know very little about what it really means to love most of the time in our life. Because we in our society today, even amongst Christians, are not really willing to go to the length that love really is. We really don't know what love really is because we're not willing to go through pain with other people. We're not willing to go through distress and anguish and tears and have no relief in our spirit. We're not willing in a sense to suffer to that degree to love somebody that much. And yet may I remind all of us, where would we be right now today if Jesus didn't love us like that? If he said, 
I'm not going to go through any pain in order to love you. I'm not going to put myself through any distress or anguish or tears or relief in my spirit in order to love you. No, Jesus showed us and continues to show us every day we live, I'm willing to go through pain to love you. Because that's real love. You see, our love has limits to it, unlike God's love. God's love, we know, is unconditional. It it has no end. It has no limit. Which is why Paul even wrote to them earlier in the letter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13 about love. And remember a couple of things he said about love there? He said, real love, Christ-like love, endures all things. It bears all things. And why I say that this is such a foreign concept even to church people today is because most American Christians that go to church, they don't even engage enough with the brothers and sisters in that church to even understand what it means to have a relationship with somebody that brings you to a point where you have to be willing to go through pain and anguish and tears over a relationship with somebody. In fact, most people don't even want to do that anymore with their own family. Much less a brother. We don't want to put ourselves out there like that. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. We don't want to relate at that level. And all I can say to all of us is, we will never know what real love is, and we will never experience real love unless we're willing to go to that level like God does with us. You see? And the reason this is so important is because you and I, if we're going to learn to be a servant, it means then we've got to learn to start loving others like God loves us. I mean, really loving them. And that means being willing to accept the pain in our relationships at times. To accept the distress and the anguish and the tears and having no relief in our spirit in order to truly love someone and be loved. You see, nowadays in our American churches at least, our relationships are so shallow and superficial. We come in, we come out. We don't really build relationships with most people nowadays. Even though we have all this extra technology, it continues to keep us at a further superficial and shallow level. We talk to each other more on a device than we do face-to-face anymore. And we continue to get more isolated and independent, and we're missing something here. And that is, first of all, we can't serve each other unless we're together. And we really will not sustain any kind of heart of service if we really don't learn to love each other. I mean, think about what Paul says in verse 4. Out of great distress and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not to make you sad, but to let you know the love. Paul's just simply saying... I'm not patting myself on the back. I just want to remind you, that's how great I love you. I'm willing to go through all this for you. 
I'm willing to bear all this. I'm willing to endure all this. No, no, you know what we say most of the time? That's it, I'm done. That's why our relationships are so disposable today. That's why even we as Christians walk away from our friendships and from our relationships with one another. Because we really don't know love like God wants us to know love. And yet in the Bible, in 1 John, John writes these words. How do we know love? He said, this is how we know love. That Jesus Christ came and laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. 1 John 3.16. You can remember that real easy because it's not John 3.16. It's 1 John 3.16, but it's just as good. That's how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. See, we're supposed to love everybody, but God says, you should start with your fellow Christians. In fact, Jesus even said this. In John 13, the words of Jesus are recorded in this way. He looks to his followers and he says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, by this, loving others as I love you, that's how all men will know that you are my disciples, by having that kind of love for one another. You see, the newness of the commandment is, Jesus gave us a living, breathing example of what it means to love other people. So Jesus says, it's always been commanded of you by God to love other people, but now I'm telling you, love each other just as I love you. Let me ask you, does Jesus have to bear and endure loving you? I know he does me. Does Jesus have to go through pain to love Jeff Royce? Absolutely. Does Jesus have to go through anguish and distress and and, and tears to love Jeff Royce, he absolutely does. But has there ever been a point in Jesus' love for me and for you? And will there ever be a point where Jesus says, my love has run out for you, I'm done, I'm finished, here's my limit? No! Jesus' love will never run out on us. There will never come a point, no matter what you and I do to Him, no matter how much pain we inflict on Him, no matter how much embarrassment and shame we bring to Him, Jesus will never look at any of us and say, I'm done with you. I'm walking out on you. And that's exactly, though, what we do to each other. And yet we say, we love each other. And Paul is saying, do you really love each other there in Corinth? Do you really know what real love is? And here's the thing. You can buy into the philosophy of the world and of others that says, well, but if I never put myself out there, if I never make myself vulnerable, I never enter into any relationship to any depth, then I won't experience any pain or any distress or any anguish or any tears. You may... Say that to yourself. But you'll also rob yourself of any kind of real love relationship. 
because you'll never really understand what real love is all about. Because real love will experience pain. (laughs) Real love will experience tears. And can I say this based even on the Old Testament passage? That the Bible says that those who sow in tears will shout for joy when the harvest comes. And I truly believe that there is no great harvest in our life unless we're willing to shed a few tears. See, because ministry is all about people. Service is all about serving other people. That's what they used to even tell us in, in Bible college and seminary. Ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. And, and can I say that's why many churches today and, and many Christians, you know, they don't, they don't really, you know, they, they encourage a lot of things, but they don't encourage relationships the way the Bible calls us to have relationships with each other. Say, well, Jeff, you're, you're going to call in on a lot of uh, pain and tears in people's life. Yeah, but you know what? Through all that, you're going to learn about love and you're going to learn what real love is and you're going to learn the kind of love that God has for you in a way you couldn't any other way. And then you're going to learn to be a servant through that kind of love because service and ministry will also have its limits if real love is not the foundation. We will only serve to a certain place and then just like our relationships will shudder down if love is not fueling our service real love agape biblical christ-like love because there will always come a point where we'll go nope not doing that they don't deserve it uh they 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 didn't do this they didn't do that and again it'll be all about conditions We only love others to the degree that they love us. Therefore, we will only serve others to the degree that they will serve us. Thank God Jesus isn't like that with us. (laughs) And Jesus is simply saying, I will give you the supernatural capacity to be able to love the way I love you. Trust me. And learn what it means to be a servant. So that's first of all, the the love of Paul. And by the way, notice the words in verse 4 of chapter 2. The love that I have especially for you. Paul is saying, you realize out of all the churches that Paul planted, all the churches and Christians that Paul was involved with, he was not unashamed to look at some Christians and say, but I have a special love for you. And Paul did. He actually had a relationship with the Corinthians that he had with no other church. Secondly, though, we see in this passage that beginning in verse 10, Paul starts talking to about forgiveness. And I don't have, again, all the time to go into the backstory of what was happening here and why Paul was writing all that he was writing. But I do want to point this out this morning for the sake of the message and keeping on message. Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 2, If you forgive anyone for anything, I also forgive him. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did so for you in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be exploited by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
The first thing I said I wanted to look at this morning was the love of Paul for the Corinthians. The second thing is the schemes of Satan. And notice the context here. Again, it is all centering around our relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. And Paul is calling the Corinthians out saying, you are not ignorant of how Satan operates. The word scheme can mean game plan, strategy, the thought process that Satan himself goes through. And and Paul's saying, what is Satan really? all about? What does he really want to do? What is his goal? You know what that is? If somebody was to ask you, what is the primary scheme of Satan so that we're not exploited by him? What would your answer be? Your answer should be the destroyer of relationships. That's what Satan's all about. If Satan can come between you and your relationship with God, bingo. If Satan can come between you and any other human relationship that you have, bingo. That's his game plan. Because let's remember something. Satan, Lucifer, walked away from the greatest relationship he could ever experience. He walked away from the most profound love that he could ever have. And that was he walked away from God one day. And said, even though I have this wonderful relationship with you, by God, I'm out of here. And ever since then, Satan has said, that's my game plan. I'm going to make people's lives miserable by destroying relationships just like I chose to do in my own life as a created being of God. And so that's the scheme. You see, mark it down, my friends. Here it is. You know what Satan wants to do in your life? He wants to destroy all of your relationships. He wants to come between you and everyone that means something to you. That's what he tries to do every day of our life. And we better not be ignorant of it. Which is why then in the context, Paul's talking to the Corinthians about forgiveness. Because you know there's two angles here that Satan takes. First of all, he'll come to us and go, you know what? What you have done is so bad, God could never forgive you for that and no one else ever could either. You and I have been there. Some of you may still struggle with that. That's a scheme of Satan. You need to dismiss that because that's not the truth of God. The truth of God is God will look at you and forgive you for anything and everything. And has already in Jesus Christ. The sad thing is, again, because many times as Christians, we're not loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ the way God loves us. The forgiveness then that we want to see from them for us, we don't see. And what's hard sometimes is knowing that God forgave me for that, but my fellow Christians haven't forgiven me for that. But let me also say this. The other angle here is that the scheme of Satan is for us to become an unforgiving people. So that we don't forgive others. So that we hold things over their head. So that we 
again, allow things to come into our relationships that start to break up and sever those relationships simply out of a heart of unforgiveness. And some of you may be here today, may be harboring unforgiveness. Can I just, in a very loving way, say to you, you realize you, you, you're being exploited by Satan. Because Satan doesn't want you to forgive others so that these relationships in your life can continue to just pile up on a big heap over here of broken relationships. Because the only way relationships are going to be sustained on this earth where we're all sinners, even though some of us obviously are forgiven, saved sinners, is to learn to forgive one another. Again, just as Christ forgives us. Let me ask you, I think you already said this, is there a sin that you could commit that Jesus Christ will not forgive? Is there something you, you could do that Jesus would say, nope, sorry, I can't forgive that? No. So again, then why do we feel like we have the power to look at somebody and go, I won't forgive you for that? It's easy for us to accept the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that we get from God, but how, how equal is it for us to dispense that same grace and mercy and forgiveness to others? And Paul is simply telling the Corinthians here, oh, beware in these relationships of the schemes of Satan and what his game plan is, because all he really wants to do in your life is to destroy your relationships. You see, because one day, Satan already knows this, he and all the other demons are going to be just totally isolated in a Christless eternity, which is really what's going to happen to anyone who rejects Christ. You want it your way, you'll have it your way. And it'll only be your way. See, God actually brings people together. And in, in God's heaven, we're all going to have this sweet fellowship, not only with each other, but obviously with the Lord as well. Satan and all the demons of hell are never going to experience that because they never wanted it. And then finally, we not only see the love of Paul for the Corinthians and the schemes of Satan, we see the triumph of Christ. And how this ties into learning to be a servant. Because Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.14, and who makes known through us the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of Him in every place. Paul here is using a very familiar uh, illustration for the Corinthians. It was a Roman triumphal procession, is what it was called. It was not common. It was actually a very rare thing. It was when a Roman general would achieve an unbelievable great victory out there in the Roman Empire and even beyond. It had to meet certain criteria. There were literally 15 different criteria that had to be met by winning a certain battle in order to qualify for a Roman triumphal procession. But it did happen at times, and when it did, oh my. The Roman general would come through the streets of Rome. You can see it on this magnificent white stallion. And behind him were all of his troops, all following him. 
And then behind them was the prisoners of war, those that had been captured in the battle. And as they would ride through the streets of Rome with all the pomp and circumstance and all the music and all of that playing, there would be all of this incense burning. Which is why Paul uses that, the fragrance. Paul said, you, you've been to a Roman triumphal present, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The great general coming into the city, having conquered all of those behind him. And you say, what does that illustration have to do with me as a Christian and learning to be a servant? Two things. One, Paul is saying, you realize that those Roman generals achieved great victory, but they never achieved the victory, nor will they ever achieve the victory that Jesus Christ our Lord has achieved. That Jesus Christ is the ultimate universal conqueror, the universal prevailer. The universal overcomer. There has never been anything or anyone in the universe to defeat Jesus, nor will there ever be. He has defeated Satan and sin and hell and death and any other foe that ever came against him or ever will, will always go down to defeat. You realize, my friends, right? Jesus Christ always wins. Well, the reason that then has application to you and I is Paul saying, if you and I choose to follow Jesus, then guess what that means for us? We will win. We will overcome. We will prevail. We will be victorious because Jesus Christ never loses a war. He never loses a battle. He never loses a conflict. There's never a foe in front of him or a challenge in front of him that somehow he's going to lose to. So if you and I are willing to follow him, we will overcome. We will conquer. We will be victorious. The only way you and I don't win is when we choose not to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, there's another thing that Paul wants to get across here. And that is, it's all wrapped up in this word leads. But thanks be to God who always leads us in. Meaning that again, in order for you and I to experience victory in our life and prevail and overcome and all of that, we've got to surrender to Jesus. Now, here's where the illustration maybe breaks down, but unlike the captured POWs, if you will, of the conflict with the Roman general that we're following, obviously unwillingly behind, Paul is saying, you and I get a choice. But the choice is no less dramatic. It is a choice to basically be captured or captivated by Jesus Christ, or I'll say it this way, to surrender to Jesus Christ. To say, as he said to his father in the garden, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Jesus, I surrender to you. You lead, not me. You see, what Paul is reminding the Corinthians and us of is this. Whether we like it or not, whether we will admit it or not, whether we will ever own up to it or not, 
The greatest hindrance to our spiritual life is us. Not something else or somebody else. The greatest hindrance to our spiritual life, especially of service, is us. Because guess what? Self gets in the way. And you and I can't be a true servant who really pours ourselves out for others, lays down our life for others, is broken and spilled out for the glory of Christ and for others if we're going to put self first. So Jesus, at some point, has to come along and conquer us and capture us. Or we have to be willing to surrender to him and say, Jesus, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. Lead me, Jesus, in your victory. I surrender. I surrender. And that's why the love that Paul had for the Corinthians, the schemes of Satan, and the triumph of Christ all very much play a huge part in learning to be a servant. Because learning to be a servant is learning to love like God loves us. Learning to be a servant is learning to put a premium on our relationships with God and with others. Because if we don't, we are going to be exploited by Satan. And finally, learning to be a servant is learning really to let Christ overcome us, self. It is learning to surrender to Jesus Christ totally like never before. Could we stand and pray? I believe that God is asking us today, will we surrender? And many of you will be here today and like me could say, well, I surrendered to Jesus Christ in the past. I, I've surrendered my life to Him. I, I was saved at a certain age, at a certain time, and then somewhere down the road, I, I surrendered. I, I presented my body a living sacrifice to God. But I think God is asking all of us today, would you surrender to me even more? Would you surrender to me like you've never surrendered to me up to this point in your life? I mean, true surrender. Let me lead you. I will never lead you down the path of defeat. I am Jesus Christ. I never lose a battle. I never lose a conflict with anyone or anything. I cannot lose. I am the Lord of glory. There is nothing or no one in this universe greater or more powerful than I. Nothing that I face will defeat me. And if you and I are willing to surrender our life to Jesus Christ and faithfully follow Him, we will ultimately prevail. We will ultimately overcome. We will ultimately triumph. Now, Satan doesn't want us to know that. Satan doesn't want us to be reminded of that. Satan doesn't want us to zero in on that. But I'm telling us today, that's where God wants us today. Would you come? Would you today maybe even right there in your seat Say, Jesus, I, I surrender. 
I surrender. Take my life like never before. Help me to learn what it means to really love. Lord, all of this, we pray to your glory and honor this morning. You work here. You mold us. You make us after your will, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.